Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I hope you are getting the rainfall you need this week to get your spring planting off to a good start. I know there are some parts of the state where the crops are up and growing, and they've gotten too much rain this week, especially in east and southeast Texas. So our prayers go out to those folks who are dealing with the severe weather side of this rainfall event we've been having over the last week or two. Well, regardless, if you have too much rain or not enough, I sure appreciate you taking time to join us for Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host, and I'm a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. We've been getting a lot of rain in the Texas Panhandle all of a sudden, but cool soil temperatures are a problem for those who are eager to plant sorghum. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Severe weather safety tips when traveling urban and rural roads. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The Biden administration's 30 by 30 report has the attention of U.S. farmers and ranchers. The question is, what are the details? I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that report on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas wheat harvest is now underway, but results are expected to be very mixed this year thanks to Mother Nature. Jessica Domel has more. Mother Nature has brought late freezes, drought, high winds, and in some cases hail to Texas wheat growers this year. Darby Campsey from the Texas Wheat Producers Board and Association joins us with a look at the crop. The crop is looking very good in the Blacklands, although there is a little bit of that localized freeze damage. They've also been seeing just a little bit of stripe and leaf rust. The crop in central and south Texas has also been dealing with some leaf and stripe rust, and those areas were also impacted by the freeze earlier in the year over Valentine's Day that would have impacted that area because it was further developed and therefore couldn't withstand the sub-zero temperatures. Producers have said that conditions are mixed and they see some potential for good yields. And then as we're looking at our rolling plains and our high plains, these areas have been pretty dry. Many areas of the state received some rain this week with severe weather in select areas. We'll have to wait a few days to see how that will affect the crop. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Now, speaking of wheat conditions, we got the latest crop condition ratings out on Monday from the National Ag Statistics Service. First, they show that 10% of the Texas wheat crop is now harvested. As far as the rest of the wheat out in the field, here's how the condition ratings stack up. They show 3% of the crop rated excellent, 22% rated good, 
40% rated fair and 35% of the wheat crop rated poor to very poor. So that's consistent with what we've been seeing all year long with about a third of the crop rated good to excellent, a third in the middle, and a third poor to very poor. The rainfall has been a welcome development for sorghum growers in the Texas panhandle, but soil temperatures there are a bit too cool to get seed in the ground. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. On the unhappy side, the storms we've been having around the panhandle have tended to be on the severe side, which is never a good thing, but we're also getting some pretty productive rainfalls. Moisture appreciated by anyone farming any kind of crop, of course. However, Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff says our rainy spell fits sorghum schedule pretty well. We're really right now entering into that three or four week period where it's kind of ideal time to plant sorghum. So I think the rain is certainly welcome all over. Now, while we are getting good rains right now, and hopefully the trend will continue, Dr. Bean says there's an issue with soil temperatures. Soil temperatures for much of the area have gotten stuck on the cool side. A few degrees or so below the 60-degree mark Dr. Bean says is preferable for sorghum planting. So he's encouraging producers to hold off on planting for now. Sorghum seed is small, so you don't want it to struggle to get up if you keep from it. So, yeah, you can plant it now, and, and with the prospects of warmer weather, it's certainly probably be okay. But why do that if you can and have that ability to wait a little bit? Yeah, we've got plenty of time to plant sorghum. Dr. Bean says, in his opinion, the optimal time for planting sorghum in the Texas Panhandle is June 1st through June 20th. And to those who have adopted an earlier planting time in order to get their crops far enough along to be less vulnerable to sugarcane aphid infestations, Dr. Bean says, Really, the aphid has not been a big issue the last two or three years, so... I would look more for that optimum planting date and just wait, let that soil temperature get a little bit warmer. And with the prices of sorghum right now, you can certainly afford to spray if you need to. And we know how to do that. So that would be my recommendation. Let's wait for the ideal conditions or close to ideal as we can get in the panhandle and plant the sorghum, get it off to a good start, and hopefully have some good yields. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. As James mentioned, the rainfall we've been getting has come in the form of severe storms in many areas. Tom Nicoletti has some severe weather safety tips. We are more than halfway through May, but we must remember the entire month of May is the busiest month of the year for severe weather in Texas. Here is National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw. If you're in a vehicle... And if you have enough time to get off the road and get into a safe structure, that's the thing that you want to do that's preferred above all else. If time does not permit, we stress trying to you know, stay in your vehicle if at all possible. Try to get off the highway and stay in the vehicle and try to protect yourself as much as possible. If a tornado was actually bearing down on you, one of the things we recommend is that you actually get out of the vehicle and get into a low spot get into a ditch, try to make yourself as low as possible on the ground if you have no other way to get away from a tornado that might be imminent in your area. Obviously, if visibility is very poor, if the roads are very wet, there's large hail occurring, you know, it's better to be pulling over to the side of the road as opposed to moving down the highway where you're liable to run into another vehicle. One of the things that we discourage folks from doing, even though it's popular, is to get under an overpass. And the reason for that is everyone starts getting under an overpass on a highway, very quickly traffic can be congested on our main thoroughfares. 
and we can actually build up uh, big traffic jams on our interstates, on our, our freeways, and that can lead to, to greater dangers from people converging onto areas where there's great congestion and possibly causing additional accidents. A lot of times the winds can be amplified when you find yourself under an overpass, especially if you actually get out and get up into the upper sections of where the underpass meets the overlying roadbed. Wind can whip very rapidly through there, sending rocks and debris flowing very rapidly past you, and that can cause injury to folks. What's the difference between driving through a metropolitan area versus a very rural area? There's unique challenges that are presented by both situations. Obviously, in, a, in an urban area, you're oftentimes confronted with a lot of traffic. So if a severe thunderstorm comes up on you quickly in a very congested environment, it may be difficult to actually get off the road and get to an off-ramp and get into a safe building. As far as a rural area is concerned, one of the things we haven't talked about is actually flash flooding. And oftentimes, you can encounter a lot of low-lying places, a lot of dry creek beds that have quickly filled up with water and are covering the roadways. Those are the sorts of things that you need to be very careful about, particularly at night when you're in a rural area. Very difficult situation. The best situation to be in is to get the warning with enough time to where you can actually get off the road and hopefully actually get into a structure if at all possible. From Fort Worth, that is meteorologist Tom Bradshaw at the National Weather Service. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Biden administration's 30 by 30 report has the attention of America's farmers and ranchers. But that report seems to be a bit short on the details, according to Gary Joyner. The Biden administration released its Conserving and Restoring America the Beautiful report. It's better known as the 30 by 30 report because its goal is to conserve 30 percent of U.S. land and water by 2030. Agriculture's reaction thus far is the report is big on ideas but short on details. It's a philosophical document that identifies eight principles. Some of the principles are welcome, such as incentive-based and voluntary conservation, personal property rights, and continued ranching on public lands. The specifics of implementation, however, remain to be seen. The report does recognize the oversized contributions of farmers and ranchers to conservation while feeding the world. That's good. Let's hope that recognition is carried through implementation. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. State officials have taken several steps to protect the state's free-ranging deer population from chronic wasting disease. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more details on those steps coming up on Texas Ag Today. And grain overload can lead to death in cattle. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. 
Grain overload can lead to death in cattle, and it usually affects a large number of cattle in the herd. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on this problem. Grain overload is a serious condition that is usually discovered within a few hours of offering a grain ration to cattle that have not been fed grain previously. Many times this occurs in feedlot situations, but can also occur if animals have only been off feed for a period of time and then placed back on the grain abruptly. It can also occur when mistakes are made, leaving the gate open to a pen containing grain. The problem occurs because fermentation of large quantities of rapidly digestible carbohydrates results in excessive volatile fatty acids, which lowers the rumen pH and allows lactate-producing bacteria to proliferate. This prevents growth of starch and lactate utilizing organisms and causes the osmotic pressure to increase in the rumen, which pulls fluid out of the circulation into the rumen, resulting in clinical dehydration and acidosis. Acidosis leads to muscular weakness, kidney failure, collapse, shock, and eventually death. Mild cases usually show signs of dehydration, colic, or abdominal pain, and a distended and sloshy rumen. You can determine this sloshy rumen by simply pushing on the rumen by the calf's left flank, and you can hear and feel this sloshing effect. An enlarged rumen due to feed will not be sloshy but doughy, and if filled with gas will be tight and also not sloshy. A lot of these calves will be staggering and recumbent with a high heart rate and shallow respiration. Because treatment of these calves is difficult, prevention is key, and avoiding feeding large amounts of grain to calves that are not normally fed grain is recommended. Also, gradually introduce grain as it requires three weeks for rumen bacteria to change to digest this new food. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. State officials have taken several steps to protect the state's free-ranging deer population from chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel tells how in today's Wildlife Report. We now know a bit more about the cases of chronic wasting disease found at Texas deer breeders in Mason and Matagorda counties this month. According to Dr. Susan Rollo, state epidemiologist at the Texas Animal Health Commission, each facility has had one white-tailed deer test positive for the fatal neurological disease so far. Both deer originated from facilities in Uvalde County, where a deer tested positive in late March. Due to the discoveries, those facilities have been or will be depopulated. Since CWD is a prion disease, and the prion is shed into the environment and can persist for an indefinite amount of time. Each positive herd, such as the two, the one in Mason and the one in Matagorda County, should be depopulated to prevent spread to additional free-ranging or native deer and to other herds in each respective area. The Animal Health Commission and Texas Parks and Wildlife Department are also looking at all animals sold by the deer breeders within the past five years. We identify those animals and locate where they're at currently, and we put those herds where they reside currently on hold. In some cases, they were put on a release site, so those release sites are put on hold to stop all movement. If the trace animals are still alive, we require them to euthanize the animal and test it. We require post-mortem samples basically on those trace deer if they're still alive. If they're not still alive, we may require a herd plan to do additional sampling in the herd to see if CWD was there. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel.
The cattle markets closed mostly higher on Wednesday, while cotton and wheat moved lower. We'll take a closer look at all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market closed mostly higher in Wednesday's trade, both live and feeder cattle futures finishing mostly in positive territory. June live cattle up 15 cents, 116.90. The August up 40, 120.12. October live cattle up 10 cents, 124.62. About the only lower contract we see in the cattle complex is the nearby May feeder cattle. It was down 62 at 136.57. August feeders up 95 cents, 152.87. September feeder cattle up 75 at 154.27. We saw some cash fed cattle trade start on Wednesday. Some light trade reported in Kansas. Those cattle bringing 119. That's fully steady with last week's trade. The online Fed Cattle Exchange sold on Wednesday morning. However, we did have a fair number of cattle listed, about 3,000 head. However, just only about 300 head actually sold. In Texas, we had 167 head sold on the online Fed Cattle Exchange. Those cattle brought 119 to 119.75. Boxed beef prices continue to climb. Choice up 14 cents. 323.48, select up 63 cents, 299.68. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Madison Bexley and crew had a sale in Lockhart about this time last week. Maddie, how are you? I'm good, Larry. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for asking. Tell us how good the sale was in Lockhart. Yeah, it was a little slower this week. We had a couple inches of rain right at the beginning of this week. So we ended up with 779 with 205 cows and 16 bulls, 130 sellers and 68 buyers. Let's walk the pins. On the soccer cows, we got along pretty good this week. Uh, we had a good bit of activity. The good pairs would have brought from 11 to 14 and a quarter. The mediocre and middle aged from 850 to 1050. Uh, the planer ends from 6 to 800. The good bred cows from 8 and a quarter to 1200. The mediocre middle aged and shortbreds from 5 to 800. Uh, packer cows and bulls would have been out, would have been about steady with a week ago. The good high yielding cows from 60 to 75 and a half. The medium yielding from 53 to 59. The low yielding and lightweight cows from 37 to 50. The good high yielding bulls from 88 to 96. The medium yielding from 80 to 87. The low yielding and lightweight 65 to 79. And the cows and yearlings would have sold steady to maybe four or five better on a real active market this week. You know, the rains and the smaller runs around kind of helped perk the market up a little. So all in all, it was a great day. Good. Hey, somebody asked me the other day to get you to spell hundred. <laughs> I told him it was H-U-N-N-E-R-D. <laughs> Pretty close to that. <laughs> yeah. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Maddie. 
You can always check us out on Facebook, Larry, or you can call the barn at 512-398-3476. My cell phone at 979-540-9793. Or you can ring Bubba at 512-461-6091. We've been with that little country ball of fire, Maddie Bexley. Maddie, we love you. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you. Neighbor looks to me like that's all the time they're going to give us for this edition of Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Neighbor, good day. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. Close mixed. June hogs up 30 cents, 110.95. July hogs down 10 at 111.40. Class 3 milk was mixed. May milk up 8 cents, 18.96. June milk down 15 cents at 18.33. A hundredweight. The cotton market closed lower on Wednesday. All traders watching the rainfall situation here in Texas. Reports of some rain across West Texas cotton growing areas on Tuesday and Wednesday pressured prices lower. We close with July cotton down 109 points, 82.92. The October down 98 at 82.88. December cotton down 93 points, 82.37 cents. Rainfall across the southern U.S. plains in the wheat growing areas helping to push prices lower. Also, the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Red Winter Wheat Tour posted an estimated yield of 59.2 bushels per acre on day one. That is much higher than USDA's yield estimate of 52.1 bushels. All of that pressuring wheat prices lower. July Kansas City wheat down 14 cents Wednesday, closing at 6.33 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down 18 and three quarters, 6.79 and a quarter. The corn market steady to lower. July contract unchanged, 6.58 and a quarter. September corn down four, 5.67 a bushel. In the energy markets, June natural gas down four cents, two ninety-six. June crude oil down two fourteen, sixty-three thirty-five a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow down one hundred sixty-two points, thirty-three thousand eight ninety-seven. The Nasdaq down three, thirteen thousand two ninety-nine. The S and P five hundred down eleven points at four thousand one fifteen. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. See you next time, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.